y'all, I'm Kendall Michelle Haney, and this is episode seven of Type in Tunes. In this episode, I talk with Rick Suval. Rick is currently the creator and producer of an upcoming yet-to-be-announced animated series for DreamWorks. Before that, he was hired to produce and reboot Thomas and Friends for Mattel, which will debut on Netflix this fall. He's also developed series for Disney, Amazon, DreamWorks, Fox, Mattel, and Roadside Attractions, and has written for or been staffed on animated series like Spider-Man, Astro Boy, Doug Unplugs, and Miles from Tomorrowland. Rick's credits also include several live-action television movies for Sci-Fi and Hallmark, and he co-wrote the 2018 Emmy-nominated episode of The Stinky and Dirty Show, a series he was head writer on. In our chat, Rick talks about what a story editor or head writer is in animation, how to make the jump to becoming one, and the skills needed to do the job well. So here is that conversation. So I'm here with Rick Suval, and thank you so much for coming, Rick. Of course. I'm excited to be here. All right. So as you know, we like to start with just talking about your journey to all of this. So do you want to start with childhood? Do you want to start with college? Where where did your journey begin? Um, well, I, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I just, I think ever since like sixth grade, like study hall, you could either do homework or you could write in journal. And so I decided to journal and cool. I started writing kind of these weird short stories that starred me. Uh, and uh, and then from there, I just really fell in love with writing. So when I got to high school, I really wanted to concentrate on uh, writing as a possible major for college. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I wasn't actually a great student at, uh, at English and so, but I always, you know, applied to be part of the honors program there, the honors English, and uh, even though it was going to be really hard, and I, uh, I, I had this great teacher mentor. Her name is uh, Mrs. Lampert, and she, uh, I had her for three of my four years in high school by choice, oh, wow. and uh, she, she was really tough on me, and I feel like I'm, I'm a better writer because of it. I think after that, I wanted to, I went to college in uh, Hofstra University and got. Uh, creative writing and literature uh, degree, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I knew I wanted to be like a, I think I, I want to be a writer director of independent films, uh, like sure. most people uh, in the beginning of their career. And uh, then I moved out to Los Angeles, and I got uh, a taste for uh, live action television. I was I got my first job a few years after getting out here. And um, I just, I, I fell in love with TV and TV writing and producing because, mm. you know, you know, when you're a, a writer on a, on a film project, you're kind of a low person on the totem pole. And, uh, but in TV, the, the writers are, are the executive producers. They're the king of, uh, of the project. So right. it was just kind of a really enticing thing. And uh, how, I, how I got into writing for TV was, I got one of those pity meetings uh, and it turned out to be something that was really useful. So, I mean, my big piece of advice is take every meeting, whether you think it's kind of in general, that's yeah. going to go nowhere. Uh, because, you know, this, this one was, I was moving out to Los Angeles and I got a call from my grandmother said, my best friend's uh, uh, son is a writer on Law & Order and you should look him up. So, oh, grandma. I know. And I was like, okay, um, I'll, I'll give him a call. So I, I, I called him up and I said, hey, I, uh, my grandma said I should call you and I want to be a writer. And she thought you might be able to give me some advice. 
And so fortunately he said, sure, come on out to the universal lot uh, and we'll, we'll have lunch. I nice. was like, okay, all right. So I put on a nice jacket and tie uh-huh. and uh, went to universal lot. It was about a hundred degrees outside. I was pouring with sweat before oh, we even man. got together. Um, and the interesting thing was we just really hit it off. He was, uh, it's this writer, his name is Morgan Gendel. Uh, and he, but 20 years my senior at the time, or I guess at all times, uh, <laughs> and he said, and we just really hit it off. We were both lactose intolerant, both played clarinet in the sixth grade. Wow. And, uh, With a bond so we, like that. Yeah, I know, exactly. And so we kind of hit it off. And um, and the funny thing was, the advice to me was, he's like, I hope you didn't wear that jacket and tie for me. And I was like, uh, of course not. No, no, no. Uh, I wear this all the time. Yeah. Uh, and he says, he said, look, the first bit of advice I'm going to give you is you're a creative person. He's like, so we go to these meetings. He's like, don't shave uh, and wear your, you know, your, uh, your ripped jeans and your, uh, your flannel <laughs> shirt. This was the 90s grunge sure. era. And he's like, uh, he says, just act like you don't care. Uh, and I said, okay, good advice. And uh, <laughs> and so that that just kind of started me on the journey. But he ended up reading one of my, my scripts. And then he said, well, what do you want to write for? And I said, well, right now there's a new Star Trek show out. And I'd love to write for them. And he had written one of the most famous uh, Star Trek Next Generation episodes ever. And oh, he cool. said, look, why don't you write a spec of that show? And I'll work with you on it. And he, over six months, gave me tons of great wow. notes. And then he submitted it for me uh, to Star Trek. And um, I got in a meeting and I pitched and uh, it didn't go anywhere, but it was a great first step. Yeah. Um, and then in a couple of years, you know, Morgan was in a position to hire me for my first freelance because uh, awesome. we kept that relationship up and uh, he read all my scripts along the way. And eventually he hired me onto that show. Mm-hmm. And, and during that time when you were, forming that relationship with him, you were working, were you writing other things? Were you forming other relationships or was that the big one that you sort of focused on? I would say that was the big one. Yeah. I mean, I met people, I, I, you know, would try to go to parties and network mm-hmm. and events, you know, go to like uh, whatever film society events there were out there. I would go to those and, and just try and network and meet people. But this was like the big one that gave me my break. But yeah, and I was I was writing plenty of other things, and even Morgan and I wrote a, a movie together during that time. Cool. And uh, you know, he was just a real uh, champion of me, and you know, I guess saw some potential in me, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little bit of himself since we were both lactose intolerant, <laughs> yes. playing clarinet. Uh, so yeah, and I worked on other things, and I just had a day job to to get by. But okay, that was that was the start for me, mm-hmm. um, and then. You know, over the years, you know, I, that was a live action show called VIP. I was on that for four seasons. It started Pamela Anderson sure. as the head of bodyguard agency. Um, and then, you know, I wrote a bunch of like TV movies over the years for sci-fi and Hallmark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I really wanted to get into animation. And so it wasn't until about six years ago. I mean, I, I you know, dabbled in it. I had gotten a couple random freelances here and there, but it really seemed like animation was this exclusive club and I couldn't crack that code at, at, until about like six years ago. Then I really uh, changed my focus to animation. Interesting. And was animation just something you loved or was what was the reason that you were sort of eyeing it as where you wanted to head? I, I liked, I mean, I've always been a big fan. Yeah. You know, I think like growing up, I was like, you know, the Saturday morning cartoon kid. And I, I love that, uh, 
you know, like I love stop motion. Yeah. Like, uh, repeats of Gumby in the show, uh, Davy and Goliath by the same guy or Cloakie. Um, and I just loved, you know, I would watch the, you know, you know, the wonderful world of Disney, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Mickey Mouse shorts and stuff like that on Sundays. And, you know, but then as I got older, I was really into like, you know, the, the primetime animation, the adult swim stuff, you know, like a big fan of like the Venture Brothers and yeah. now Rick and Morty. So I was always trying to kind of get in with, you know, more kind of primetime animation fair. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think about 10 years ago, I sold a, a pilot to uh, Fox mm -hmm. and I got to make, I got to make the pilot and produce the pilot. Uh, uh but they picked up Bob Bur Bob's burgers instead. So, well, if uh, you're going to lose no. to someone, Bob's is a pretty good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I, it was such a great show. I mean, I was like all angry and grumpy right. when I heard about it. And then I watched it. I was like, this, this is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so I, I liked it a lot, but so I was always trying to make, uh, I, I made a bunch of, you know, trailers and I would kind of pay to make some of these kind of pilots myself. Oh, cool. I would team up with animators and uh, really try and get out there and shop some stuff. And I had some some luck uh, getting some stuff sold, but not made. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that, that kind of, and then I think what started me on the, I don't know how deep we want to go, but what started me in kind of my, my current career yeah. path uh, is, you know, I was, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Guy Tobis, mm -hmm. uh, had was creating the show, the Stinky and Dirty Show for Amazon, and he was trying to get me in to write. And there was some resistance initially because I didn't have any, you know, preschool credits. Sure. And so he actually, his uh, another friend of his, uh, Scott Gray. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know Scott. He was looking for some writers, so uh, Guy said, "Well, I'm going to hook you up with Scott, so we can start building up your cred." Uh -huh. uh, and so. And Scott gave me some work on Luna Petunia and Rusty Rivets. And, you know, and then he started recommending me for a ton of other shows. And then um, I was able to get that Stinky and Dirty episode and yeah. it turned into more. And then it turned into being the story editor, head writer on that show. Yeah. And, uh, and so just started that kind of ball rolling. So those two guys were really, uh, you know, a huge part in getting me into the animation space that I had been trying to get into for years. <laughs> Did you find it uh, surprising working on preschool? Was was that sort of a big change for you? And as far as the actual writing, was that like a shift in crafting story? And what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, preschool is a very different type of writing. And so I think that's why there was a resistance for me to go in there. I mean, I think Guy and Scott both knew that, you know, writing is writing, but I think people on the outside don't realize that, you know, that writing is writing and, but there is, there is a learning curve. There's definitely yeah. a different type of writing because, you know, in the preschool space, kids don't understand ticking clocks. They don't understand time. You're so, right. you know, you know, it's, it's, so we, you have to come up with these new ways of, of showing stakes. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, they may not understand, like, we, we got to get this done by the end of the day, but they do understand the ice cream might melt before it gets to the park. Yes. You know, so they understand that. And so it's, you know, and, and just time is means nothing. I mean, think about when you, you know, it's like with my own kids, you know, it's like when they're little, you're like, we're leaving in five minutes. And they're like, give me 10. And five minutes later, like 10 minutes is up. Okay. You know, it's yes. like, they just don't, they don't quite get it. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that's a big difference. And there's just a lot of other comprehension differences. Yep. And, you know, as I'm sure, you know, it's like in, in preschool writing, you, you restate the goal several times yes. throughout the script. 
I mean, in, in a grown-up movie or, you know, grown-up television, you can pretty much say what the goal is at the beginning and everybody knows what it is by the end, but we kind of have to remind our audience to uh, stay focused on what's going on. Yes. So that's, the, that's one, of the, one of the big differences. And also just the way you, you, you tell things. Because I have a lot of writers come to me from the 6 to 11 animated mm-hmm. space and they there is that learning curve again there because, you know, for example, I'll, I'll get someone will have a really funny joke that works great in six to 11, whereas like something bad's happening and like, everybody put your hands in the air and run around in circles like crazy and scream. That's a funny joke in a six to 11. But in uh, the preschool space, you know, you put your hands up and you run around and scream because it's real, you know, right. comment on it. So you have to really be more in the moment in the preschool space. Yeah. Do you have any favorite episodes or characters you've created in that animation space? Um, <laughs> I, I thought about this one before we spoke because uh, I was trying to think like, what is my favorite? Yeah, uh, it's do hard. I have a favorite? And you know, the funny thing is, it's it's kind of a silly reason. What, what one of my favorite things is, is that, you know, uh, being like a, a Jewish kid that had no Christmas and no Santa and really wanting that. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite episodes is that I got a chance to write the Christmas episode of Puppy Dog Pals. Mm. Uh, and not because it's an amazing episode, which I'm sure it is, but uh, you know, it's because I got to write about Santa yeah. Claus. And then it's so funny. And then that continued like uh, as kind of this tradition where I end up writing a lot of the Christmas episodes uh, uh, these days. But that was just a, a real treat for me to kind of get to do that and just kind of find that uh, Christmas magic. And I think there's a, another favorite episode of mine was uh, there's a Sticky and Dirty episode. I don't know your, if your audience knows the Sticky and Dirty show, but it's basically about a, uh, a garbage truck yeah. uh, and a backhoe loader who are best friends who solve problems with garbage and resourcefulness. Yes. And, and it's adorable. Oh, thanks, thanks. It was it was a great show, an amazing learning experience for me in the in the preschool space. Um, and one of my favorite episodes was called "The Missing Stink," where Stinky the garbage truck uh, accidentally goes through the the car wash and he loses his stink. Oh, so no. he loses his identity. Yeah. And so it was just kind of an interesting way to like you know show kids you know what what identity is in mm. a very easy understand way because like wait how can stinky be not stinky yeah uh, so it was kind of uh just a fun you know i realized you know at that point you could kind of open up storytelling in different ways in the preschool mm-hmm. space you can kind of reach into uh bigger issues and so that was just kind of a, a good moment for me and i really and it's a really funny episode when he's trying to you know find his stink <laughs> as you do <laughs> yes i love that and what about your favorite step in the process you have one favorite step in the process um i would have to say breaking stories okay is my favorite step um i love that because it's like you've already got the the genesis of the mm-hmm. idea there and then with the room and with the other writers you're, you're just putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and it's just such a satisfying moment when you know those ideas come out of left field and you're blue skying and you're suddenly it's like you walk out of the room and you're like I've got a story and this feels good yeah how do you like to run those um those rooms are you like how long do you typically take for a story break and how detailed do you like to get um in the 11 minute space um I typically can break a story in an hour to an hour and a half Mm -hmm. which is pretty fast Mm -hmm. you know kind of 
I don't know, over the years, you kind of pick up uh, different pieces from different story editors you've worked with. Yeah. And so, you you know, I've kind of, you know, glued together all the pieces that work best for me. And so I I find that um, because of that, I can, I can do this in a quicker fashion. So mm-hmm. we have different steps. Like I have kind of 12 beats make up a, an 11 minute episode. So it's really filling in those beats. You know, you have an act, you know, four beats for act one, four back acts, uh, four beats for act two and four beats for act three. So you're really working towards what is that dramatic moment at the end of each act. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it doesn't take that long. I mean, and, and so, you know, in, in preschool, there's, you know, there's going to be the montage moment, you know, if you got a song in yours, that's one of your beats, you know, so it doesn't, it's not too hard to fill them out, but even with a movie, you know, you're looking at a certain number of beats. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's a similar process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any part that, you find most frustrating? Do you struggle more with a premise than a script or anything that's that's harder for you in that? I think the part I, I, I like the least, and I was thinking about this this week because it, it happened to me this week, which oh. is springboard. It's springboard. Yes. Um, it's because you're, you're pulling an idea out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's like, and then you're like, okay, great. I have this one line idea, but what's the connective tissue? And it's like, yeah. Especially if you're doing it yourself, you know, it's like where, you know, it's like, where are you finding the inspiration? What's it's like, there are just so many, you know, what ifs there that I just, yes. I, I don't love it at all, but I love, and that's why I make every writer pitch me ideas because okay. I can take their one line sentence and suddenly see it. Cause someone else brought in that nugget. You know, I can kind of say, oh, this will work for this character if we do this, this, and this. But when I'm trying to come up with the springboards from scratch, that's that's the hardest thing for me. Um, so yeah. uh, that's why I make everybody pitch. <laughs> do that work <laughs> At least for you me. Know. Yeah, exactly. You know what works for yeah. you. Uh, do you. Since you brought up springboards, do you have a philosophy on um, on how to present springboards to execs? Like some people are like, you know, only pitch five because they'll kill two. That way we get three in. Whereas if you pitch 15, they might kill 10. Like, do you have a a strategy for that? I do. You know, it's funny because I I do. I think we work with some of the same people where it's like, let's do a certain number about five. (laughs) And so, because we know one or two might get killed. And so, yeah, I've seen that happen a million times. If you give them too much, you know, uh, they almost feel obligated to kill Mm -hmm. a few. So I really try and give two or three a time that I okay. really feel good about. Um, and usually they, they get through or, you Great. know, or if there's a pass, there's an opportunity for a conversation. But I feel like if I do, yeah. so my, and my springboards are usually half a page each. Okay. Whereas some places they're, you know, three sentences yeah. uh, and there's just a, not enough to chew on. So I'm trying to give that little bit extra mm-hmm. so that, you know, the executives will go, okay, I can see there's a story in here. I can see there's potential. And even though, you know, sometimes they'll get that, like I said, I'll get a pass on it. I like, I'll go to the next story meeting and say, hey, let's just talk about it and see if we can make this work. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, uh, a lot of times it it, it does work out and we can go forward. Yeah. And that's a meeting with the executives, you mean? Like a, uh, yeah, let's talk this one My current show, yeah, my current show I have, a weekly meeting uh, to just discuss anything script wise, whether it's outstanding notes or something like the springboards or so even stuff I'm, you know, like I said, since I hate generating those springboards, yeah. so if I've got that nugget, I'll go, 
do you see anything yes. in this story? Is there anything to that? And then they're like, oh, that might work, but you know, I need this to happen. I'm like, okay, well now I have something to yes. respond to. Sort of get it pre-approved. Right. Awesome. Okay, well, let's talk about today's topic, which is making the jump to story editor. Something that I've done recently, which I am thankful to have a mentor as my showrunner who is walking me through the process, but a lot of people are just thrown into it and it can be uh, sink or swim. So I'm super glad that you want to sort of open that up and um, provide some some wisdom before people take sure. it out. <laughs> so well, congratulations on making that jump. Oh, uh, it, is a, it is a big jump. It's a big jump sure. and it's, um, again, I've been very fortunate even before officially making the jump to have previous showrunners who sort of gave me a peek behind the curtain. And, and so I knew sort of what, what I was gonna be doing. Um, but I know many writers who don't have that and there's no official training and there's no sort of um, manual <laughs> handed to you. Um, so to start, for people who might not know, could you just go over what a story editor is, how it's different from live action, day-to-day -day responsibilities, sort of an overview? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, you know, in live action, th that's the weird thing. I, I really feel like we need to change the name of story editor and animation to head writer, because mm -hmm. that's what it is. Whereas, because yes. in, in the bigger scheme and what most people in the business know about is the story editor in live action, which is one tier above staff writer. It's a very low level writer. Whereas, you know, in live action, it's the staff writer, the story editor, the executive story editor, the co-producer, the producer, the supervising producer, the co-executive producer, and the executive producer. Uh, and um, so, in, but, so it gets confusing <laughs> yeah. uh, to anybody who's not in animation. So, you know, to be story editor is the head writer. And that's the weird thing about animation. There's really only two positions if you're not the right. creator of the show. It's staff writer or story editor. Um, and um, which I, I wish that would change. It would be nice for us to get start getting those uh, producer type titles because there is a lot of overlap in a lot of the shows uh, yeah. to producerial content that you're doing. Um, and so, but in terms of what the story editor does, they, I mean, they rewrite everything, you know, they do everything from uh, breaking the stories with the writers. Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, you know, they rewrite every step to a certain extent. I mean, if you you want a great staff that's gonna bring that as close as possible, they're gonna yeah. bring every script, every outline as close as possible, but you're there to oversee and you know do those little tweaks mm -hmm. to make sure uh, the format's working, that it feels like the show, that the voices are right. And sometimes it's a it's a it's a big rewrite, and sometimes you're pleasantly surprised by uh, someone that brings in a script that's that's pretty close, but you're always kind of keeping the voice of the show. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I mean, that's the biggest component uh, of the show. You're also writing scripts right. um, for the show. I mean, sometimes you don't have to, uh, and sometimes it's including your deal. Sometimes it's on top of your deal. Um, and like on my last show, I just wrote the pilot and I just chose not to do mm -hmm. any more writing just because mm -hmm. there was just so much responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you're spending so much time writing and rewriting. Right. So that's, that's the gist of the story editor part, but you know, there are other, you know, depending on where you uh, land, you may have more responsibilities. Right. So I've been on shows where you just, 
you just do the rewriting, you break the stories and do the rewriting and other shows, as you know, at like Disney, for example, they give you much more responsibility, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. You might be going to all the records, you're going to production meetings, you are, you know, uh, showrunner training camp, you know, yeah. you are being part of all those elements and you're, you're doing a lot of producing. Right. Yeah. What about sort of, you touched on it just then with, with maybe going to records or production meetings, but are there other sort of non-writing, both responsibilities, but also skills that um, I, you have to pick up? I think so. I mean, there's like, you're, you're also dealing with like people management skills. Yes. You are dealing with, you know, scheduling yes. uh, and balancing, you know, you can't be kind of a you know, a, a scatterbrain story editor, it doesn't really work. You have to kind of force yourself to be kind of type A mm -hmm. kind of because, you know, you have, you know, on most shows, once you're in the thick of it, you're going to have a premise, uh, an outline, a first draft, a second draft, a record draft, all due in the same week. Right. Uh, and so you kind of have to balance, you know, where they are uh, in the schedule and what, you know, what days you're doing what, you yeah. know, and so you, you really have to kind of, and you also have to find, figure out, like, you have the days that you have to turn them in. You have to kind of figure out when is the best day for your writers to turn them into you so that you can have enough time to rewrite them. So it's really about, like, scheduling yeah. and just, you know, so there's, there's a lot of that, especially in the beginning until you figure out your schedule. And, you know, that's something that, like, you don't realize when you get in is that, like, sometimes you drop into a show partway through and there's a schedule set, you know, in terms right. of what's due on what day. But if you start on a show, a lot of people don't realize they have more control than they think in terms of, you know, figuring out the schedule. For example, it's like, yeah, we know we've got like 10 weeks from premise to the record draft and you can kind of do whatever you want within it. You can say, I want to give eight weeks to the first draft, but I'm going to do right. like one day for premise. I mean, you could do that. I mean, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. your process. So you know, and the other thing I, I learned is, you know, I like to have, I like to launch writers on a Friday to mm. script or outline because then they get the extra weekend to write. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have to kind of back coordinate that. So example, like at Mattel, I don't know if your, your people have um, you getting notes in 72 hours or 48 hours. Uh, 48. Like on my Mattel show, it yeah. was 72 hours. Okay. So I would have to turn in an outline and a premise by Tuesday so that Friday I would have notes and I could yeah. launch the writers. And I purposely do have my D1s go out on Mondays because that gives me the weekend before to work on it in case mm -hmm. it's a tough one. Yep. And so it's all about kind of figuring that schedule that works for you. And like we would have on like Sticky Dirty Show, it was already set for me. So it's like uh, final draft Fridays, you know, and like, <laughs> you know, so that's, you know, that's, you know, we, the first draft Mondays is the first day of the week. So it was the, it was just some thing that we could remember, like a mnemonic yes. device. <laughs> yes. And also figuring out, you know, so we usually give execs, we, they're told their deadlines, the 48 hours, the 72 mm -hmm. But I found it interesting to um, to not know going in the pieces of your schedule that are um, unknowable as far as like how long your showrunner might need with the script after you've done your pass before they can get it back to you and then how that affects your schedule. And you're always trying to get ahead of that, largely with information you don't know yet. 
<laughs> and then readjusting the schedule is a big piece that that I wasn't prepared for, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that is the hard part, you know, in terms of, you know, how much time they need. Like I said, that's like, you got to figure out when you want your writers to turn stuff in and then yeah. you have to give enough time for, if you are dealing with a writing showrunner, you know, how much time they're going to need with the script and it just eats into your time. So it gets it gets stressful. And especially if people are late, you know, that, that makes it difficult because, you know, if I want to get notes on Friday and, you know, they don't come in, you know, then I'm like, oh no, my writer's lost a day. And I'm like, uh, but I want to give my writer their full amount of time. So where do you, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul later on down the line? Yes. Yes. And it always comes out of our time because right. <laughs> that's just how it works. Um, yeah. But the other thing is, the other thing you got to think about though, is it's like, when does the animation company start animating? What draft do they really care about? Yes. So like, for example, like on the last Disney show I was on, uh, Disney's Tots, mm-hmm. they, I think it was D2 when they started animating. So if you were late on on like the first draft, it didn't matter because you could make it up. You, yes. We would know that. I mean, still it's stressful because like, where do you find that time? Right. But at least you have that time. And, uh, you know, it's not until like, you know, really when you get to the record draft, as long as that record isn't the next day, you might have a little wiggle room too. So, yes. but again, it's the, you have an ideal setup where you want things to happen on certain days and you know if it works out you know you know 75 percent of the time I think you're lucky yeah that's a pretty good ratio we had a a running joke on the last show I was on that um there were the real dates and then there were the fake dates there's like three actual dates and then everything else it's just fake until until it's time that's fine I was on a I was on a show where they wouldn't tell us you know Uh the drop dead dates you know, so I was like, um, when, when does it really do? And they yeah. just wouldn't tell us. <laughs> uh, I feel like they were probably burned before. Um, yeah, probably. Which I can't fault them for. Do you have a favorite and least favorite part of story editing then? Is there is there either a step you enjoy sort of taking your pass at more? Or is there a part of the job that maybe you wish you didn't have to deal with? Like, if you could just be handed the perfect schedule instead of you having to do that or, or any of those things? Um, I mean, I, I think in terms of least favorite part of story editing would be, I, I don't know, getting a script where someone doesn't follow the format, you know, especially yeah. for freelancers. I'm, the past couple of shows I've been on, it's been primarily freelancers. And mm-hmm. when they just don't, it's just that extra work I have to do. I'm like, they didn't really study the scripts and that's yes. just frustrating to me. I'm like, do, do I really want to hire that person again? You know? Yeah. And I've gotten scripts where, you know, and then you get these great Emmy winning, you know, writers coming in, resting on their laurels. And I'm like, they didn't even put a period at the end of the sentence. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm like, these are the people that are supposed to be my ringers and do great yes. jobs. And so, you know, the voices are never going to be perfect when you're especially mm-hmm. getting a freelancer. So, you know, there's going to be a fair amount of rewriting in terms of voice changes. But mm-hmm. I just always want people to study the scripts and just kind of do the best they could possibly do. And it just goes such a long way for my liking them, you know? Yes. Um, and so, but I, I do remember like going back to like my first script on VIP, my first ever live action script. And they, I remember, you know, getting invited to the set to watch them shoot it. And they handed me the, the shooting script. And I was like, oh my God, this is so different from what I wrote. <laughs> I did a horrible job, obviously. Yes. I'm like, this is like so changed. And I remember walking up to 
you know, my mentor uh, and saying, I guess, I guess I can do that good of a job. He's like, what are you talking about? You did an amazing job. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the script's so changed. He's like, it's like, that's TV writing. That's what he said to me. He's he's, he's like, he's like, the bones of the, of the show are yours. The structure's still there. He's like, you know, it's like, you know, you could be rewritten every word, but the key is it wasn't a difficult rewrite for us. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, it's like, so what? We changed, you know, jokes. We changed this. He says, you gave us the bones. Yeah. And then thank God I heard that right away because then I was like, I, I could finally kind of look at writing for television as that collaborative process that it is. Yes. And not be bummed out when things do change and be su- pleasantly surprised when, you know, a lot of your stuff is still in there. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, especially the, the freelancers don't see it, but like I'll get notes saying production notes or a director saying the right. scene doesn't work. And suddenly it's a whole new scene. And they're like, you know, as the freelancer, you're looking at it, and you're like, I don't understand why they did that. That's a lateral change, but there was yes. a reason. Yes. So I think that's, that's the hard part. So I'm glad I, I learned that right away. Cause immediately after you said that, it's like, I want to hear your next pitch. I was like, oh, really? Amazing. So I was yeah. like super excited. Yeah. What was the thing that maybe surprised you the most about the role when you first started story editing? Yeah, I mean, I think I I wasn't that prepared. I mean, uh, I mean, I hadn't had the experience rewriting someone before. You know, you yeah. really don't get that. That's the big. That's the big change. Yeah. Is that you know, you're, you're doing it for the first time, and you're also trying to mimic someone. You know, the creator's voice too. Right. So you are trying to kind of get into um, someone else's head, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to serve many masters of that, you know, you're trying to do your best, you're trying to have your voice, but you're trying to match the the creator's voice. And so, and you're just rewriting people. So I I think you just don't know at first, if you're even doing a good job, you're just trying and, you know, so um, I think, but I do find it's easier to rewrite than write. Mm -hmm. Uh, So and especially once you get in the groove and you understand the show that you're working on as a story editor, suddenly you, you become that voice of the show and you mm-hmm. know it better than anyone else and you can rewrite it much faster. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even if it's, oh, I got to throw out the scene, you know, suddenly you can write it a brand new scene in a half hour. Whereas if you were the, the yeah. freelancer writing it, you're like two days thinking about how that scene's going to work and you right. just kind of get in that zone. Um, so I just don't think you get that until you are in thrust into that position of story editor. And so I think it's, I know we'll probably talk about advice later, but I do think, you know, the, if you can get experience rewriting um, Mm. beforehand, practice that, you know, you know, see those notes, you know, and try and, you know, practice rewriting Mm -hmm. someone else's script. I mean, even if you were just to do a script swap and do notes on someone's, maybe on the side, you could do a rewrite, rewrite some of their scenes, you know, um, and not even give it to them just to practice, you know, making it better. That's a great idea, especially if it's a spec or something of a show, you know, as well, if you can take yeah. a pass at, at getting it closer to the voice that you think um, it should have. What about when you're sort of assembling your team of Avengers, either for a room or like a list of freelancers, how do you go about choosing those writers, finding those writers, um, sort of casting it as far as making sure you have different points of view in the room what's your process for that I mean ideally I I want to hire people that I've worked with before because I know their work I know they can do what I want them to do Um, but obviously that is never uh, 
the way it works out, you know, because <laughs> these great writers that, you know, they suddenly get snapped up, they're busy, you know? So, you know, I try and, you know, especially when it's a, it's a free freelance model show or mm -hmm. mostly freelance, I, I definitely try and stack the deck with some of those people, get my ringers in there. Yeah. But uh, I'm also, you know, I do want to get, you know, different voices in there. I do want to try and find diverse voices. I want to get, you know, male and female voices. Mm -hmm. And the, the show I'm, I'm on now is, you know, it's, uh, it's like a girl power show. So mm -hmm. I want a lot of female voices in there because I'm not a female. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, but I, it's a different perspective, you know? Yeah. And so I, 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 I really want to stack the deck in that uh, that direction for this show. And so, yeah, I mean, but in terms of where I'm finding writers, it, it's a mix of, you know, who the the network and studio want. They'll mm -hmm. throw a lot of people my way. They will, uh, and I'll throw a bunch of people their way. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of compromise there. So as well as, you know, I've got you know, once you get to a certain level, you've got agents reaching out to you directly saying, right. here's my client. Uh, would you read it? And, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to turning a few pages on someone I don't know, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, especially coming from that way. Or, you know, uh, other friends who are story editors recommending their writers rolling off their shows. I'll definitely read them and turn a few pages and see if uh, they'll be a good fit for the show. And so I'll try. I mean, I want to, you know, like, my current show has 52 episode order. So yeah. there's a lot of slots, but it's, there's also like, you know, political uh, uh, yes. games you have to play. And I do have to give the network a certain number of their writers. And so it's like my list of my wants yeah, is, is diminished, right? <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't have the opportunity to throw in, you know, every person I know. And yeah, so th that gets challenging, especially when, you know, I've got friends asking me like, hey, what's going on? Would you, uh, you got any openings or, you know, or other people saying, hey, I've got a writer, I'd love you to meet. And it's like, I don't have the opportunities right now. So it gets a little kind of, it gets frustrating that I can't, you know, because I, right. I may want to hire certain people. Yes. And it's like, right now I can't, maybe later in the season, there's an opportunity, but right now I can't. Yeah. And it can put you in a unfortunate position to have to have that conversation do you find it's it's frustrating or would you uh advise maybe newer writers or just writers who don't know you to not reach out directly and ask for jobs like how do you feel about that i i think well i think it's it's difficult because i think on a lot of shows like if you're if you're the story editor um you don't have as much say as people yeah. think they, they right. suddenly think that like oh you are uh, picking the writers. Yes. Um, and I know like on the Sticky and Dirty show, I got one writer in that I wanted to recommend. And it was, yeah. it was a hard sell uh, because they had, they start, they had a rhythm. They had a certain number of writers they were already using. Um, and um, I don't know what the behind the scenes mandates were and what, what, you know, who they wanted to hire. So it, it's difficult. So when you're a story editor, you're going to get a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, asking you for work, letting you know that they're available whatever pleasant way they, they want to get in touch and basically let you know. But uh, so that's the tough part that you just don't have that kind of power most of the time. So I, I don't have a problem with people reaching out to me, not at all. And I, I, I like it. I mean, I like that, yeah. you know, people are reaching out. The, just, I just feel bad though when I can't, you know, yes. um, you know, for example, on my current show, like they had me meet with probably more writers than I could even hire. And I, I feel like, 
that that's that's the tough one because if you get the meeting with the creator of the show um, and you can't hire them, you feel like that writer feels like they they failed or right. something. They they blew it and they didn't. It had nothing to do with it. It's just yeah they they had me meet with too many people uh, and so and some of those people I will get around to, but for the for seven months they're like I guess I blew right. it. And so I just right. I just feel bad. I just feel bad about that stuff because I would hire everybody if I could. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, um, I'm. I just suddenly got PTSD of when I would meet with for jobs and not get them or not here, and you're just like, oh gosh, I blew it. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. I I feel I, I totally feel for freelancers and stuff like that in in that respect. And, you know that, you know they think you know or they're you know they hear about a summit coming up and someone talks yeah. to them about it and they don't get the summit, but it has nothing to do with them most of the time. Yes. You know, it's like if you're getting the meeting with the showrunner they're interested, you know, right. but it's just, there's just a lot of circumstances uh, on, on why things can't happen. I mean, I've got plenty of great writer friends that I would love to hire on my show, but I can't right now. And right. so I feel bad. You know? Yeah, totally. It's, 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 that's, that's one part of the job that I don't love is that, you know, it's just, it's, it's just hard to get people in. And also, especially in the preschool space, I've got a lot of friends that write six to 11 and it's like, they're even harder sell for me. I mean, like I said, I know they can do it. I, yeah. I know, and at the end of the day, and I, I will even say to you know executives, uh, you know, like they can do it. I, I'm going to rewrite everything anyway, so it doesn't. <laughs> it's on me if they do a bad job, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, I, I haven't. I'm not having that issue on, on this show uh, that Great. I'm on now. But I, I've had ha, had in the past where it's like they just, you know, they don't want to take the chance on on the uh, the people that don't write in that genre specifically, or even people that they haven't met with before. So right. Yeah, it's difficult. It is. Before I want to ask you about the relationship between showrunners and story editors, and then the relationship between story editor and writers. But we haven't discussed that sometimes those are the same. So like, I believe on your show now, you're both the showrunner and the story editor. Is that true? Yeah, I'm like, uh, how does that work? Yeah, I'm like the co-showrunner. I've got this amazing, you know, uh, co-showrunner, Aliki. And she, but she's, she's, she's on the art side. She's on the art side of things. Uh, and so I, I run the, the writer side of things, but also, you know, being in the co-show and a creator of a show, you know, I, I touch on all aspects as well. Like I'm yeah. giving animatic notes, but mine are like story and pacing and Leaky's like, you're cutting them off at the knees. This shot's terrible. And, you know, right. we need a good POV. Show. So it's a great, like, uh, we, we complement each other so well. Uh, and so, so we're both, you know, you know, about records and, and casting and, and music and, and all those aspects. So, but yeah, as the creator of the show, who's the showrunner, um, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, sometimes a hybrid position where there is not right. a, uh, a story editor under the showrunner. Um, but sometimes there are both, whereas like, you know, maybe I'll eventually get a story editor on my show. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I will still be a writing uh creator of the show right so there will be that other pass you were talking about before so they we will have to figure out the schedule in terms of a story editor turns in their draft in a certain on a certain date so i have time to go over it right so but my goal is you know that i can do you know spend a couple hours and that's the most yes. i have to spend on it uh so i don't need like you know three days lead time to get something done for them Right. So, was that the case on Steaky and Dirty? Was Guy a, a writer showrunner? Yeah. So is that the relationship? 
that was a little bit different. I mean, Amazon had a weird schedule at that time where we okay. had two of everything do a week. So we'd have the A and B do the same week. Uh, so I would do the, the B episodes and he would do the A's. And so I see. Um, but it got to a point where he trusted me where it got to the point where sometimes he didn't even read my drafts. It would just go okay. through. Um, or if he did, it would just be a quick cleanup. Yeah. So when it's more of, um, and tell me if you've had this experience, if it is that relationship where you're a story editor and then you have a showrunner who's a writer, can you describe that relationship? I mean, how closely are you working together and how do you approach, and you touched on this a little bit already, but getting into their head, making sure you're making the show they want, but also trying to honor your writers and it's, it's a push and pull being in the middle. Yeah, there. for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like on my current show, I was offered a story editor or a staff writer to start. Okay. Uh, and I, as much as I really wanted a, uh, a story editor, because I really wanted to concentrate a lot on the other aspects, like I was talking about, like records and, yeah. you know, things would keep me busy. I realized that, you know, being a brand new show, um, that I would probably rewrite every word the story editor wrote in the beginning. Yeah. So I, I, and I put myself in that position and said, if I was that story editor, it, I'd feel, it would feel demeaning. You know, yeah. I feel like I'm not doing something right. Uh, I, you know, how can I please this person? And there would be no way because only I know the show at that point. Yeah. There's not even like episodes to look at to see what's going on. There's only three episodes written and they're all by me. I mean, it's like, right. and so, you know, it's, it's like, I felt bad for that person, <laughs> that, that fictitious Imaginary, person. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, um, I'd rather go with the staff writer, you know, and let them, because they're expecting to be rewritten to a certain extent, right. where the story editor is hoping to get it as close as possible. So, you know, I opted for staff writer instead because, because of that, because the story editor really has to, you know, like we said before, kind of get into the headspace of the creator and kind of help get that story, push it to that level. But I think that, you know, the relationship is like, get it as close as possible. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, learn their format, learn their idiosyncrasies so that when they look at the script, they're spending the least amount of time possible, you know, and yeah. even if it's just the formatting stuff, you know, like, like for a montage, if the person likes a double dash before yes. they're, you know, before they do the action line for a montage, do that, you know, yep. and so that you makes their life so much easier. So they're like, all right, even if they're rewriting a lot of the dialogue just to grab a voice, it, it it's quick and painless. Yes. And then like, you know, the relationship, I think you asked about like story editor and staff. Yeah. I think, I think part of it, you know, the interesting thing with that, and I think same with, you know, showrunner and story editor, it, it's like, you want to find that balance of being like a friend mm -hmm. and also being someone that they still respect, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as like a boss in a certain, a certain respect. Because I've, I've been on shows where, that line is crossed and you kind of feel like you can walk over the story editor, you can walk over the showrunner and that's just not a place you want to find yourself if you're the story editor or the, or the showrunner. So it is that weird balance of trying to be friend, friends and not friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that it's all about, you know, I think it's about respect and just making sure, you know, everybody's, you know, on, this, on the same page, working towards that same goal of making the best scripts possible. Yeah, definitely. You have spoken about this a little bit, but I would love to hear just some of your expectations 
of your staff writers and of your freelancers if they're different how they're different uh is it is formatting the top of the list is like get that down and then everything else is what what's yeah, your yeah, I, I obviously expect the, the staff writers to, to nail that format and yes. voices but uh you know the freelancers get kind of a pass on on the voices to a certain extent i mean hopefully they're they're reaching for jokes uh and and that match the style of the show and kind of stuff like that but I do think they are very different. Uh, I think the expectations I have are very different. I, I think okay. with a, uh, a freelancer, especially when they come in, I want them, when they pitch an idea, I, I really want them to think about it. I want them to mm -hmm. study the show and go, all right, here's an idea and here's how it works. It doesn't have to be really fully fleshed out, but I, I wanna understand, I'd love a beginning, a middle and end. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be fully fleshed out. You don't have to understand all the beats, but I really would love to know what that emotional pull is. I want to know that stuff. Not whereas the staff writers, since you know we have a different rapport, they can come mm -hmm. in and say, "I want to do an episode where uh, Thomas the Train does surgery." You know, it's it's like that's all I need because I'm like, yes. they their idea should be good enough to, for me to go, okay, I see the whole episode right yes. here. They know that spark, so they can come in with something really loosey goosey, uh, and we can make it work. Whereas you know. I'll get people, you know, a freelancer in a show will come in with, you know, like, hey, it's the birthday episode, you know, it's like, you know, or if you're in like, a, you know, a, a kid com, it's like, it's the first dance, I got my first pimple, you know, it's like, it's like, we've seen that a million times, you know, whereas, so I, I really want them to think about that original idea. Like when I, mm -hmm. when I pitch other shows, my favorite thing to do is kind of, how can I flip it on its head, you know? So like ex the example is the missing stink, you know, it's, it's like, you know, stinky is no longer stinky. What's that's kind of a twist on that show. Yeah. It's like, we, we didn't think about that before. I mean, who could think that the main character is going to lose its identity, you know? So right. it's, it's like, I like, and I did another episode called dirty, the garbage truck. He's not the garbage truck. So it's like, you know, stinky's, you know, hopper is broken. He can't pick up the garbage. So we've got the backhoe loader who only has a scoop. Mm -hmm. to try and move all the trash around town so it's just i like when people come in with that twist mm -hmm. you know uh and say okay it's something different you've really thought about this show enough to go hey there's a new way of uh, attacking a story here so i mean i would love you know the staff writers to do the same thing too but <laughs> again they they can come in with just that nugget and we can yeah. work on it together and we, right. even if it is just really a bad nugget we can still talk about it whereas with yeah. a freelancer i don't have the time or the opportunity to go back and forth nine times or you know grab a zoom and a coffee for an hour you know i just yeah. i just don't have time yeah that makes sense and then once they're working is there anything you sort of i mean just generally of course you you're hoping that staff writer gets much closer to to the final product but are there any other sort of expectations you have? Um, I'm trying to think of examples, but is there anything that comes to mind for you that you're just, you're sort of counting on your staff writer to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're, they're also there to help break the story. I want them to have great ideas for breaking the story. Uh, I mean, for me with the freelancers, I, I break stories with the freelancers too and have them come okay. in. But, you know, often when a freelancer comes in and when there's actually a full room, uh, they don't quite contribute as much because they just don't know the show and there's not that same right. rapport with the rest of the staff. So they, they are kind of like observers, uh, you know, uh, often uh, when you have the full room. So the, I really want those, you know, 
big personalities for mm-hmm. staff writers that, you know, will, you know, there's great writers that are quiet people that will sit in the corner and writers often are, you know, quiet people. So, um, but the ones that can, will speak up and talk about their big ideas are the ones I would want on staff and, yeah. uh, because they're going to contribute to everyone else's scripts too. You know, I want them to read every script and go, yes. Hey, you know, what would uh, punch this up, you know, if we did this, you know, so I do want that kind of input from staff writers. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask about that. So obviously they should be reading everything, but do you have your, like your single staff writer now, or when it's a room, do you have them sending in punch-up notes? Do you guys do a whole punch-up meeting? Do they go to records? Do they, how, how much do you involve the staff? I would say they would go to records in their episodes, you know, okay. that kind of stuff, you know, just to have the opportunity, especially if like, you know, there's a celebrity doing the voice as we get <laughs> kids animation, you know, they want to go and, and yeah. meet that person or watch them. Uh, but yeah, I think they want to, um, you know, be more involved and kind of, you know, uh, comment on the stuff, you know, if, if we do like on tots, we would do, uh, we would do the table read and we would okay. kind of punch up in the room on the table read on that one. Yep. Um, and so, you know, you want them to be involved in as many aspects as they want to be involved. Definitely. I think it's nice. I, you know, I've been on shows where I, as a staff writer, where I wasn't involved in other steps. And then I've been on ones where I was and they've got their pros and cons. I certainly had more writing time when I was less involved with other parts, but the educational aspect was so valuable to, to see those other things. Um, what about, so we're, we're nearing the end. So there's two sort of big things. There's um, writers who aren't interested in story editing and have maybe tried it and then decided they'd rather just be a staff writer. What do you think about that? Do you think that it's, um, I think some people have reservations about that. Like I'm supposed to want to be the head writer and then the showrunner and how would you calm those writers? And then also if they do have those aspirations, how do they do it? How do they make that jump? And and how do they uh, find success in doing so? Uh, to answer the first question, I think, uh, sure, there are plenty of people that are probably just not the right fit for story editors. Uh, I mean, I say go for it and try it if you get the opportunity, because you're yeah. not going to know if you're not the right fit unless you try it. Because, you know, as we talked about before, there's just so much extra responsibility that you may or not be interested in. And yeah. you may just like to write. And so you know, after Stinky and Dirty, uh, Guy uh, got the job as story editor on TOTS, and he asked if I'd be willing to go down to staff writer and uh, and work for him. And I was like, of course I'd be willing yeah. to go down. I mean, first of all, it's work. And second yeah. of all, it's, you know, as I said before, there's only two positions. So, you know, there's a staff writer and story editor. And so if you're not the creator of the show, you're just going to spend your whole career flip-flopping between right. the two. So, you know, if you've been a story editor, not, you're not suddenly always going to be a story editor. Right. You've got to take that job as a staff writer if you want to maintain and, you know, keep yourself relevant. So, and also, you know, the interesting thing for, you know, Sticky Dirty was a really kind of grueling schedule. Right. Uh, and so to come in and go to Disney where they have, you have a long time to write a script and, mm-hmm. and only have the responsibility of writing scripts, it was, it was like a vacation. And yes. I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is like, you know, I can, I can work on, you know, stuff on the side yeah. and you know, not, not uh, mess with any deadlines. Cause I had just plenty of time. And yeah. so that was really nice. But I did after, 
after about a year and a half of tots, I started to get the itch and saying, okay, okay I'm, 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 I'm ready to be the one rewriting people. And, uh, you know, cause you're always going to get a little grumbly when you, you've been there for a long time. And like, like really that joke didn't go through, you know, <laughs> yeah. why, why'd you rewrite that one? You know, it's like, it's, I mean, again, it's par for the course and it's like, you don't really take it personally, but I was like, I, I want to be the guy sure. again, who's, who's the one changing that joke. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, but it was like, I mean, so I just got that itch and I wanted to, I was, I was ready to move back to, to, to the other position. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately it worked out and I did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and the second part of the question was, um, if, if someone is ready or they feel they're ready or, or maybe not now, but down the road, how do they position themselves to make the jump to story editor? And what does it look like to, to ask yeah, I mean, for that? It's not, or? It's, yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it's automatic. I don't think you automatically you, it, they're not offering those jobs up usually, right. you know, like if you're lucky, you'll get like like Disney's great about having you kind of like pitch on some of their IP and you would automatically be story editor if, you know, that goes forward. So mm -hmm. if you're fortunate enough that that's one way to go about it is kind of ask to develop because, you know, usually whoever develops it, the very least gets to be story editor on your show if it goes forward. Uh, right. If it goes forward with your version, because, you know, right. uh, you know, often, you know, you'll do a development pass on it and then they give it to someone else to give it a try. And uh, so, but if you are the one that makes it all the way through the gauntlet, yeah, you, yeah. usually your story editor. But I think you have, if you want to try to do it, you, you, you got to go after it. I think you got to ask for it. You know, if there's, if there ends up being an opening and someone leaves, you know, you, you, you know, but I think you've kind of, I think the best advice I would give is to, if you have a good relationship with the story editor and the showrunner, you've been there for a while, you kind of ask if you could be trained to be a story editor. Yeah. You know, you could ask to say, hey, look, I'd love to, the opportunity to try and give notes on the script, or I'd love to, you know, even if it's on the side, not for the other writer, I'd love the opportunity to, to try a rewrite. And, you know, I don't think, a lot of us don't think to go that route, you know, with, with our writers. We don't think mm -hmm. that they're, you know, to ask them to do that, but it's like, if you ask, I think they'd be happy to say, you know, why don't you take the D2 notes on this script that's not yours? You know, why right. don't you, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think you could ask uh, is the best way to go because we're so busy. We're not thinking about that, you know? And so, but if you, if someone asked me and saying, hey, I, I really want to learn how to be a story editor, I'd be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I can totally help you. And so I think don't be afraid, but I, I also don't do it like, you know, you just met the person and right. you've been there for like three months. I really want to jump up. You know, it's like, yeah, I put in your dues. I, I feel like you've got to be, you know, most people got to be a staff writer on two different shows usually mm -hmm. before they, uh, before people consider you for, for a story editor uh, bump. So usually you're going to get the story editor job, not on that show. You'll get it on another show. So, you know, maintain your relationships with the executives. And, um, but I just, you know, a friend of mine recently, asked one of the executives um, if, if they could learn how to be a story editor. And the executive actually suggested to the showrunner uh, that they let uh, this writer do some rewrites, you know, great. And, and learn. So, and it was great. I mean, and they were totally happy to do it. Again, the, the, I don't think the showrunners knew that they were, this writer was interested in that or, you right. know, thought that you could do that. So I want to do that for writers as well. I want to, you know, let them try, um, you know, now that, that that's in my brain, I want yeah. like, to teach staff writers how to get to the next level and help them get there because I, I, I personally want everyone to succeed. You know, I want, yes. you know, I want everyone to, to do well. And so 
if I can help someone get to that next level, I, I want to do it. Yeah. I had a showrunner, uh, sort of my first introduction to that rewriting thing is I took a pass on some freelancer stuff. I was like, well, they're obviously, like you said, not going to get as close as we need it to be. And so before he looked at it, I would go over it and try and do some of that. Um, and it was great because as you started this off mentioning, you don't ever rewrite someone. <laughs> it's just not a thing you do until it's your job. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think people should definitely ask for more for more of those opportunities because no one's thinking about it and no one's ever said no also. Like everyone is so nice in animation and wants everyone to succeed, they're gonna say yes, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, especially in preschool animation, everyone is just so nice. Yeah. Everyone is so giving. They, they just really want to help everyone. I've never seen a community like it. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost loving, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's too it's much like, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it's so nice. I mean, everybody really is trying to help everyone advance, uh, in this space. And I, I do love that. So it's, yeah. it's just, and that's what I love. I mean, I will say that, I mean, that's something I love about, you know, preschool animation is that, you know, we really do have an opportunity to, you know, shape young minds, you know, it's like, you know, some shows are more, you know, I, I I'm not the kind of, I don't personally like to write the ones that are really young where it's like, we're teaching that a toilet train, you know, or, sure. or to take turns. But I do like that we can impart lessons in, uh, in other ways in terms of believing in yourself and, you know, uh, showing people resourcefulness and ingenuity, you know? And so, and that's just something I love about preschool. I, I think a lot of people <laughs> don't plan to go into preschool yeah. uh, and then fall in love with it once they're there yes. they really just love that you know the challenge of it because it is more difficult writing I, I feel because yes because of, of all the uh you know uh the comprehension issues we talked about at the top of this so I I just I really like that challenge and I feel like being able to do preschool animation has made me a better writer in my other writing that I do I write uh, yeah. a lot of you know uh TV movies uh, for like Hallmark and sci-fi on the side. And it's like, yeah. you know, I, I use some of that kind of restating the goal and, uh, you know, and some of like, you know, some of the comprehension issues, some over telling something sometimes it's a good thing, you know? And it's mm -hmm. so I, I, I use it or, you know, there's, there's one thing about preschool writing is that I, I love is, you know, it's like, you don't, don't really want an idea to come out of nowhere. You know, like grownups can suddenly go, hey, we're just gonna jump across this chasm <laughs> right. where it's like, you know, you really want to say like, they suddenly see, you know, a, a vine somewhere and they go, wait, we can make a vine bridge. You know, it's like they, they see it and they have, oh, that's it. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many preschool scripts go, that's it. But, uh -huh. um, you know, but I started using that in my, you know, uh, older writing for, you know, TV movies and stuff like yeah. that. And like where the inspiration comes from and people are like, oh, that's, that, that's a really cool moment. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, thanks. It works for five-year-olds as well. Thank yes, you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm <laughs> glad that you have the mentality of a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's just, it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, was there anything we missed for story editing in particular that you wanted to mention or advice for that? Or do you want to sort of open it up? And um, I like to close with just asking for general animation writing advice for people starting out? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think the best thing to do is, I mean, it's tough to find scripts in animation. Though. That's the hardest thing out there is, yeah. I think the best thing is to to um, read as many scripts as you can in the space. Uh, I mean, the big thing about 
I think we didn't really talk about is some of the other differences in animation writing versus live action, which is, you know, we, in animation, you really direct on the page and you're kind of told not to do that in live action. You're supposed to like, you know, which I think is silly because every word in a script is a blueprint for the yes. director to use. So like if we put in an angle randomly in a live action movie, uh, it shouldn't be frowned upon. So, but in animation, we, we put in a lot of directing because we really want the storyboard artists to understand the moment and not misinterpret and set us back, you right. know, because they went a totally different way. So, you know, that was the hardest thing for me to learn when I made the switch was like how much, because I've been taught so many years, don't, don't even hint at a camera, you know, and now it's suddenly like, we follow so, yes. so close on, you know, it's like, pull back to reveal or it's just a ton of that kind of stuff going on so so it's great to read those scripts and understand those type of differences yeah. I mean I think at the end of the day if you were to write uh, an animated spec uh, like an original pilot and you didn't use some of those like bracketed sound effects nobody really cares but it's good to know those uh, you know exact especially if you get that shot you know to kind of start writing you know animation so you know some of those little idiosyncratic uh, differences. So yeah. I think it's it's great to read. I think it's great to write um, pilots uh, are, are the big thing to write now. It, it's interesting. It's like, I like to read, I think I'm a minority. I, I'd rather read a spec of an existing show. I don't want to read the, the produced episode of a show because I feel like so many hands have touched that, you know? Oh, uh, sure. And like, I just don't know it's their voice or not. I'm like, it's going to be great. If someone hands me the record draft of anything, I'm like, this is going to be great. <laughs> So um, I'd rather read either the writer's draft uh, yeah. before, you know, or read a spec of uh, an existing show so that I can say, okay, they really nailed those voices. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but the pilot's really important too, you know, if you pair that with a, a pilot, an animated pilot. And I feel like even for the preschool space, as long as it's like a, the kid's space and it's younger, it's mm -hmm. even six to 11, I can read something and go, wow, this is great. And I can usually read five pages and know if something's going to be great. And the great yeah. ones, like I read a, someone's script the other day. And I'm like, I'm just going to turn about five or six pages. And I was like, I got to know how this ends. That's, that was a good one. Uh, my big tip would be not to write a pilot of Greek gods in high school. Uh, I've read a few of those little, myself recently. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I'm reading writers uh, for my show, literally, I got like a dozen of those. Hilarious. Like, and I think we've seen that actually as a show before, you know, and I'm like, so it's just like, I think it's just some go-to place that people think is huh. cool. And I'm like, we, we've seen it. We, we've seen it. So um, those ones I were, was shutting uh, quicker. And what else can I tell you? I, so I just think it's read and write and, yeah. you know. And, and network. Um, yeah. I, I think it's like really like if you can get into meet the people, there's all these like uh, there's a lot of events out there that, yeah. you know, there's like women in animation uh, and they invite men to those events, too. Yes. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, uh, events out there, you know, that you could go to if you really search and find and meet, meet the people. I know it's more difficult now with Zoom, but in terms of getting that coffee with someone, it's yeah. easier now. Yes. I mean, it's like you know, to find the time for me to meet someone for coffee is, is difficult because I'm always like, oh, can you come to Burbank? And right. then I'm like, uh, and then I'm late because, uh, you know, uh, I'm still trying to get out of something. But now like a half hour Zoom, you know, a cup of coffee, you know, uh, I'm more open to that kind of thing mm -hmm. and, and can meet with more people. So I think now, and I, I do think the landscape of the, of the business is going to change even after the pandemic. I think more people yeah. are going to be 
Because now I'm going to be like, I'm never going for coffee again. I'm going to do it on Zoom from now on if it's a, if it's a potential writer or someone yes. wants a, some informational meeting on becoming an animation writer. So, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, that's that's a big thing. I, th I think you reach out and network. You know, I've had, I, and there's a way to do it. You know, I know you did one with Adria recently on, yeah. on, uh, on networking. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a way to do it. I mean, there's like, you know, I think you've just a random thing. Like I, you know, LinkedIn, I mean, I'll get someone like saw that I wrote a sci-fi channel movie and I'll just get a random thing. Can you give my script to Steven Spielberg? I'm like, I don't know why you think I know Steven Spielberg, but no. Can you um, get my script? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like if I had that content. Right. Um, but uh, I, I, I just, some people are really pushy in that way. Whereas yeah. I think it's the people that say, hey, look, you know, I, I'd love to, pick your brain, you know, those are the ones that I am more willing to talk to uh, right. and ask to read a script uh, eventually, uh, as opposed to someone saying, hey, we read my script. Yes, so. those are great. And just to, to close this out, do you want people to find you? And if so, where would they? And any work that's coming out right now? I just saw the great Thomas announcement yesterday that it's gonna be on yes. Netflix. And um, in terms of finding me, I'm, you know, my, my Facebook and Instagram are private for just people I yeah. personally know. So I do get random requests there. And the reason why you don't hear from me, uh, people trying to uh, reach me there is because it, it is for people I literally know. Um, but I am on Twitter at, at Rick Sabal on Twitter. And I am on LinkedIn, for whatever that is worth. Uh, <laughs> under the same name. <laughs> and but I, I think that yeah what's coming up is so I recently uh, rebooted and produced a new version of Thomas uh, the tank engine and friends it's uh, it's a new version for preschool it's a it's a 2d uh, version called uh, we finally got the name announced yesterday Thomas and friends all engines go and you know the fun thing about the being 2d because we've traditionally seen the 3d is 2d is you know with the 3d they were kind of stuck on the tracks and the real physics they would use the real physics of trains here now we can do like that looney tunes squash and stretch you know yeah. like if a boulder's coming after thomas he's not going to die he's going to lift up on his axles and it's going to roll underneath him so awesome. yeah we, we've got thomas doing cartwheels and so it's uh, a really uh, fun uh, new version with a lot of music in it. And um, it just, it, it, I'm really excited about that one coming out. So, and I've got my new show, which will come out sometime in the next few years. <laughs> uh, and I can't say what it's called, but it's with DreamWorks. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be on Netflix. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, and so, and we've got new episodes of, uh, I think I have some remainder episodes of, uh, <laughs> of Tots coming out still. Great. So th that's how long animation takes, you know, that, uh, yes. that I still have episode, new episodes coming out on that show. But uh, yeah, so if people cool. want to reach out, you know, just find me on Twitter and say hi if you want. Um, and uh, yeah, there you have Perfect. It. Well, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you again, Rick, for taking the time to talk all things story editor. I know that job can seem like a mystery, so I hope this episode sheds some light on what a story editor is and does. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates at Type in Tunes and subscribe wherever you get your podcast for the latest episodes. Thanks for listening.